You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. We have a special guest speaker this morning, all the way from the gate. Uh, <laughs> this, is, this is my dad, actually. He's going to be uh, taking the pulpit this morning, and so I'm excited to hear what uh, God has laid on his heart to share with us. This morning, and it's also good timing because I'm really sick, so <laughs> I really appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, let's uh, let's pray, and then you can get started. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for my dad, for Randy, Lord, and um, for what a man of wisdom he is, and um, how he's lived his life uh, in submission to you. And, and how we've seen the fruit of that in, in, in every area of his life, Lord. And um, he is certainly qualified to be speaking this morning to us about wisdom and in Proverbs. And I pray that we would open our hearts to, to hear and, and receive. And we would humble ourselves to, to listen to what he has to say and what you have to say through him, Lord. We just bless him. Pray that your spirit would work and speak through him and um, that you would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Greg. All the elders volunteer to take a a sermon during the summertime to give Greg a break so he doesn't have to do anything. (laughs) Even when he's sick. He's leading the worship, but we're glad to hear that. So, Good morning and welcome as we continue our summer series on the book of Proverbs entitled Wisdom Lit, focusing on the words of wisdom written some 3,000 years ago and how they amazingly still apply to us today. It was suggested by some that I expand on two verses of Proverbs, the first from Proverbs 16.31 which reads, Gray hair is a crown of glory, it is gained in a righteous life. And the white, one like it from Proverbs 20:29, 20, the glory of young men is their strength, but the splendor of old men is their gray hair. Those of us who have reached that status, we will definitely have to do one of those, maybe in about two or three years after more of the congregation has had teenagers. <laughs> Much more applicable to all of us is the con- contribution of Agur, the son of Jacob, from Proverbs 30. Agar wrote 33 verses. Fortunately, I'm just going to do the first nine. So let's read these verses from Proverbs 30, verses 1 to 9 together, if you have your your Bibles, or Jordan's going to have it on the overhead for us. The words of Agar, son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I am weary, O God. I am weary and worn out. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not under the the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Every word of God proves true, proves to be true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. 
Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food that is needful to me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. The identity of Agur is a mystery. As this is the only place we find his name in the entire Bible. Although some suggest Agur was a counselor to Solomon, or even an alias for Solomon himself, the consensus is that he was a Gentile from northwest Arabia. Four things struck me as I read through these nine verses, and I want to expand on them for you. First, what stood on the first stood out on the first line was the words oracle and declares. These words are not seen elsewhere in Proverbs, and in fact, they don't really fit in with other Proverbs. They are generally found in the writing of the prophets, where God is speaking through the prophets, declaring oracles in reference to nations or individuals that will take place sometime in the future. For example, the book of Isaiah announces many of God's judgments on the nations and calls them oracles from chapter 13 through chapter 27. However, another use of the word oracle, and with a slightly different meaning, is found in Hebrews 5, 11 to 14, where it is written, About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment, trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So here in Hebrews, oracles are used as the fundamental truths of God, more suited to the use that Agar has here, where he seems to be emphasizing the main truth of Proverbs, that wisdom is gained through knowledge and understanding. Secondly, Agar in verses 2 to 4 gives us a glimpse of who he is or was. He says he is weary and worn out. He states he is too stupid to be a man and has no understanding. He confesses he has not learned wisdom and has no knowledge of the Holy One. I must confess as well that this reminds me of me before I came to faith in Jesus at the age of 28. I too felt worn out with all the striving of this world and wondered what life was really all about. And I'm sure there are people here that have also felt that way. Agur is stating that he does not understand the purpose of life. He even sounds depressed. Alternately, in his search for wisdom, he has come to the realization that man's knowledge is very incomplete and limited, especially in light of the creation around him and the great mystery of the Creator. But then in verse 4, Agur does something that indicates how he turned things around. He begins to question God. Interestingly, I did that too, and you may have as well. And my wife can attest that she was often the unwilling but brave recipient of many of those questions. 
Eger has some pretty deep questions that he asks. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? It's pretty obvious that the answer to these questions can only be God. They're God-sized questions. And these questions are meant to further indicate the limitations on human perceptions and achievements. Kind of makes you feel small. But in that, Eger got his answers and gained some exceptional wisdom along the way. You know, I got my answers too. And I'm still asking questions. The vast knowledge that it takes to understand God will never be completed in this lifetime. But God does want you to question him. And rest assured, he will always answer. Sometimes we must be patient in waiting for his answer. And sometimes he answers without you even knowing it. Many times I have looked back and seen my prayers answered. They just weren't answered in the way I wanted them to be or the way I was thinking they would be. And in all cases, they were answered better than I could have imagined. You know, if we were to get an appointment with your doctor and you told him all that you feel is wrong with you, would you finish by saying, thanks for listening, doc, and then leave? No, I think you would be wise to wait for the answer. Another person who had lots of questions was Job. Fascinating read, the book of Job. Interestingly enough, Job is also full of wise proverbs. Job had it all, but God allowed it to be taken away. His friends only made things worse. Keep that in mind. But when Job finally questioned God on why God answered, why, I should say, God answered him in a mere 130 verses. If you haven't read it, increase your wisdom by doing so. Confession and repentance. It all makes sense when we read through Job. The final question of verse 4 is a big one. He says, what is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. Of course, the answer to the first part again is God. But hey, it was about another thousand years before the world was introduced to God's Son, Jesus. A little bit of the prophetic here, perhaps. That jumped out at me because, as many of you know, I'm a student of Bible prophecy. God's living word fascinates me. The Bible is filled with treasures to be mined, from the Old Testament leaping to life in the New Testament, explaining things right to the end of the ages. God's word came to life for me, when I began to study what he had to say to us in light of prophecy. His answer to my questions was to appeal to my thirst for truth and proof. And he pointed me to the 30% of the Bible that deals in prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14.22 says, Prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. And Revelation 19.10 states, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I've been studying scripture ever since. And might even say I'm slightly obsessed. God knows me and he knows what I need in order to draw closer to him. 
Perhaps you need something similar, maybe answers to deep questions like Agar's, to inspire you to dive deeper into God's word. Thirdly, Agar got an answer that he expresses to us in verse 5, where he says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. God has revealed wisdom to us for our good. This statement is echoed time and again in Scripture. Scripture is the Holy Bible. It is what God has proclaimed in written form. Listen to these nine attributes of Scripture from the Scriptures named. It says, It is pure, from Psalm 12, verse 6. It is precious, from Psalm 126, verse 6. It is firmly fixed in the heavens from Psalm 119, verse 89. It is truth from John 17, verse 17. It is powerful from Hebrews 4, verse 12. It is inspired from 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. It is preserved from Psalm 31, verse 23. It is eternal from Psalm 119, verse 160, and John 1, verse 1. And it is perfect from Psalm 19, verse 7. These attributes are emphasizing that the sayings of God in the Bible are refined and trustworthy. And this is important for us because we are limited in our understanding. God is wise and mysterious and powerful. And in contrast, we are mortal, foolish, and weak. We need a shield. We need protection from evil in the world and even from our own foolishness. This is what uh, Paul David Tripp commented about Scripture. One of sin's greatest rebellions is our repeated refusal to listen and submit to the wisdom of God revealed in every part of his word. Agur discovered this precious wisdom and along with it discovered that God is not only true to his word but is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Romans 8.31 states, If God is for us, who can be against us? In any and all circumstances we encounter, and each of us will encounter good and evil in our lifetimes, the Scriptures will bring comfort and understanding. We are all influenced by both the world we see and the unseen spiritual world. Ephesians 6.12-13 states, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. God is a shield to those who trust in him. He is our defense and our salvation. It makes sense to expect help from him rather than from someone or something else. Our hope is in him alone, and we do well to wait silently for him to act on our behalf. In verse 6, Agar says these words, Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Agar may have been influenced here by reading the words from Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, and again in Deuteronomy 12, verse 32, which basically say the same thing. God's word is more than sufficient in every circumstance, and nothing else is required. Many have tried adding their own words over the years, but these additions have proved fruitless. 
And in Revelation 22:18 and 19, there is a similar severe warning straight from our Lord Jesus. Finally, in verses 7, 8, and 9, we have the only prayer we find in Proverbs. Agar asked God for two things to carry with him throughout his life. First, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Agar's wisdom rightly discerned the damage that deceit and lying, whether his own or someone else's, can cause in a world that is so desperately seeking for truth. The original sin in the Garden of Eden was one of deceit, where the serpent Satan said, Did God actually say? And it has been one of Satan's best weapons, even to this day. And second, he said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Here, Agur was again asking God to keep him from temptation. On one hand, with having too much, he would become full of pride and selfishness and begin to think that he didn't need God anymore. On the other hand, when left with too little, he could become bitter and cynical and be left to steal and stop believing that God cares for him. This bit of wisdom in Agur's prayer reflects the caution we find elsewhere in Proverbs against trusting in wealth just as Pastor Blair talked about last week. Interestingly enough, the same wisdom is mirrored in the New Testament in Matthew 6. We know it as the Lord's Prayer. In conclusion, Agur's struggle to find wisdom was definitely worth it to him. I encourage you to read the rest of the chapter as you find time. The path of each of us is on, may be different, but I will leave you with this piece of wisdom that I've learned over the years. Read, read, read the Word of God. He infuses it with His Spirit, and it will bring you peace and wisdom. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for your Scripture. Help each of us, as you did with Agar, find wisdom and understanding from reading your words of truth. Indeed, Inspire us to make reading your word a priority in our busy lives and help us to draw closer to you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.